0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Hiawatha Church. Uh, again, my name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. So um, if you are visiting today, um, that's who I am. And I just want to welcome you personally as well. Glad you're with us. Uh, we are kind of in between sermon series right now as a church. Uh, we uh, prefer to, and uh, probably about 95% of the time, are preaching through Bible books, or books of the Bible, expositionally, A to Z, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, chunk by chunk. Uh, we're taking a little bit of a break between two series, which ended our last one early December, and then doing some miscellaneous things here on Christmas, and, and usually at years beginning, whether um, last week, uh, kind of, or New Year's week, or uh, this week into the rest of the month, we do some uh, reorienting, visioning-type sermons as a church, and for the sake of those of you who are new, but for those of you who are not, uh, as a reminder, uh, we're forgetful people. As leaders, we would say this. We'd be the first to raise our hand and say, we're forgetful of things that we um, champion and teach and encourage so much uh, as a church, and so we're the first ones, we would say, uh, to need a reminder, but wherever you are, this will tell you more about where we are as a church on a variety of issues, um, and it's, uh, it's, it's quite a task to say, because people ask us this, wh- what's the main thing at Hiawatha Church, what are you really about as a community, what's your main vision, and, and there's a lot of angles we can take on that, um, you know, I like to say, just speaking from a leader's perspective, you know, this is kind of a, who are we again and what are we doing here <laughs> kind of series, or it like we're kind of waking up from a stupor or something after maybe, uh, you know, a season of something that's seemingly mundane, or just we've kind of been forgetting some things or whatever, or what's the purpose of the church, why are we gathering, or things like that, um, but a lot of angles we can take, and uh, it's, it's really important to do this. I should have mentioned before, too, uh, Spence and I did a very unscientific between he and I, a uh, survey this past week, we were trying to think, I wonder how many people have, you know, as we look at our church right now, which is about 225 adults and 100 kids, roughly, like we're here in the beginning and like, you know, past five years, how many are new since then? And so, to, to our best of our knowledge from what we know about you guys and the cards every week and databases and stuff like that, we, we think around 40% of our church currently has been at Hiawatha for two years or less, which is Quite a big number, if you think about it. Uh, it's, we might be 10% off on either side of that. Uh, could be 50, could be 30, but roughly about 40% of our church is um, two years or less, and so and that, we love that. That's a great thing. We actually want a culture here that's very conducive to that. Uh, whether people are not Christians yet, or they barely are, or they've never been, in, haven't been, in, they are a Christian, have been in church for um, for a decade or whatever it is. Plus, uh, we want visitors. We we love that. We love that turnover. We think it's healthy for a church to have that. But it does create kind of the problem of of continually continually aligning people, it's not really a problem, but it's just a challenge, of continually aligning people to what we're really about as a church. And so we have intro to Hiawatha classes, membership classes, but just love to preach on this uh, sometimes as well. So going back to what I was saying, then people ask us, well, well what is the main thing about our community? Lots of angles we can take on that, and we'd seriously we'd be, you know, we we have a six hour class on a Saturday that we basically unpack that question, and we we just scratched the surface, so we'd be here a long time. But some angles that we could take, and we have taken in the past, and we will actually kind of uncover a little bit today uh, here, just in list form, get an idea of where we're headed. And we could just talk about Jesus, of course, we'd be here all day for that. He's the main thing for us as a church. Our vision we could talk about, which is to glorify God by spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ through word and deed among our church, and then out to our city and beyond. We'll weave that in, both those things in today for sure. Our, our main three values of gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection for our salvation, community around that, and mission out from that, or we could preach in the purpose of the church. Uh, like last year, we preached through our dream statements, so the, the, the founding members of the church 10 years ago now uh, had a dream for what, they, what we were kind of seeing five or 10 years from that vantage point uh, in our history, and uh, we had a list of that, So we, which is still kind of a functional values document for us that we go back to a lot. We did that last uh, year at this time. We could we could have done that too. Talk about leadership development and church planting, which is one of the big practical things we're all about a, as a church. And so, so there's a lot of angles we have taken and we can take today. Some of which we'll weave in uh, here today a little bit uh, later. But and these are kind of all saying the same thing in, in a sense. But the angle I want to take today is, and I won't have to go back to that uh, sermon slide a second ago, but. Um, is to focus on what I think is really the boiled-down nature of the Christian faith. Uh, and I, by boil down I don't mean overly simplified or overly simplistic, like in a bad way, but just when you really get down to brass tacks, what, what does it mean to be a believer on a day-to-day basis in, in, in community with uh, other Christians? And it kind of gets at our vision statement number two there, kind of gets at that a little bit, but I want to come at this from a different angle, from a scriptural vantage point, from 1 John 4, 13 to 12, and focus on these two big things that we preach a lot. This is how it becomes a visioning sermon, kind of a sermon on 1 John 4, which we'll get to today. It, it gets us specific there. We'll, we'll come to that. But also it gets to become a visioning sermon for us because we talk about these things so much, in as much as the Bible does. Uh, and those, things, those two things, primarily, are belief and love. Belief in the gospel and love for the church. And so we'll come back to these two things. Again, there's lots to say about them that goes beyond 1 John 4, but we're going to use 1 John 4 language so that we're not here until 6 p.m. tonight. So, um, so let's read it. In, actually, not unfold it Begin. I'm going to take it in two sections say two chunks here. Uh, bel- the belief section first, and we'll move into the uh, love for the church section. So the first piece being uh, belief. Let's read verses uh, 13 to 16 to begin. If you want to open up that sermon insert, you can, or your Bibles. This will be on screen here too. Verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe that the love that God has for us, God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. All right, so this is really the gospel here, according to First John four uh, thirteen to sixteen, but really verse fourteen is key. So the gospel according to First John four fourteen, it says God sent Jesus into the world, which which means we say this a lot here at the church. It, it reminds us that we could not get to Him. That last song was great on this, and how we needed, we needed to be adopted. We were not wanted. We were in a place of despair and distress, but we couldn't climb to him. We couldn't find him. We couldn't call him uh, our, our father on our own. And, and you know, a, a to be adopted child doesn't say, I'm, I'm just claiming you as my father. The father has to do that for the child. It's the same way in the gospel. God sent his son Jesus to come rescue us. So he sent Christ, who became a human being, actually lived, actually died, and rose again three days later, and, and he says, John here is one of Jesus' disciples, 12 disciples. So he's saying, we have seen these things. It's actually happened in history. Uh, I, I was there. I witnessed it, along with the greater public. Jesus didn't do this in a closet. He lived, he taught, he performed miracles, he died, he was raised, all in public. So it's, it's this easily falsifiable thing, but it could never be falsified because it's actually true. Jesus actually died, and he actually was raised. Nobody could be found because he actually was raised. And he did it all for us to save us from our sins. So he died substitutionarily on a cross for our sins. And he rose substitutionarily to bring us into that resurrection life now spiritually and physically in in the future. So his purpose then is clear here in verse 14. It says, we've seen and testified to to the fact that the Father has sent his son Jesus to be the Savior of the world. We say that as the scriptures do, and this is what the angels say right before Jesus was born, and Jesus says tirelessly and shows throughout his ministry that he was to be a savior, a savior, not a moral teacher. Though he taught, he was called rabbi by some. But it's interesting, after he was raised from the dead, he's never called rabbi. He's called the Christ, the the Messiah, the King, the, the risen one, the savior, the son of God. Those are the more preferred uh, titles for him because he goes beyond just a teacher here, uh, but but uh, a savior. That's the picture of the gospel. He, it's almost like the, the the preferred picture of the gospel is of Christ pulling us from the ocean when we're in a state of drowning, rather than sitting around a campfire talking about how to achieve humility better. The picture of the gospel is we are being plucked up from the depths, the pit of hell, the pit of the of the ocean of despair and sin rather than sitting around talking about how to be a good person. That's not the picture of the gospel, the latter. Not the picture of the gospel you get anywhere in the scriptures. Rather, um, the, uh, the primary piece is God rescuing or, or saving. So what's the, so what do we do with this question here? Uh, he, not all the passages of the Bible talk about uh, Christ as Savior, of course. They might glance over this, but he actually gets quite specific here. John does. He says, uh, in terms of what do we do with this, he says the Spirit's work, in a church community or a person's life, is to lead us to know and believe these things, that, that God sent Jesus to be the Savior of the world. To love us, specifically love us, by saving us from our, our sins. So know and believe here, go back to that piece, knowing and believing are two different ideas, two different words. They're both good, but knowing alone is not what Christianity is about. Uh, knowing is partial, it's good, it's partial, but belief is uh, the, the trajectory of, of knowledge. To know is to understand, but it's not to trust in. So, um, in fact, elsewhere in the Bible it says that demons know that Jesus is the Son of God. In, in the Gospel accounts, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, demons say, I know who you are, Jesus. You're the Son of God. Knowledge is uh, it's not negative. On our side of things, it's not negative. So To say it's demonic isn't to say that knowledge is negative, of course, but it is to put ourselves in the same plane in one sense as the demons. So what's, what's different about us? What's different about the church? What's different about those who are being saved? The difference is, we are called to believe, which is an active word for trust. We trust, not just know the facts of who God is in His Son, what He's done for us, but we place our active trust in that in that, uh, in that fact. So, so on the day of judgment, then, the, the ultimate when, when Christ comes back and judges the living and de- the dead, the ultimate question he'll have for people isn't, did you understand about me? But rather, did you trust in me alone for the forgiveness of your sin? That's a heart matter, right? That's, where is your heart before Christ? Is it, went to, yeah, I went to Bible school, or I, I, my parents dragged me to church all my life, or I stumbled into a church a couple of times, understand the components of the gospel. Someone gave me a track once. And that's great. But do you trust in Jesus Christ alone? Do you actively place your hope? on a regular basis, do you in your heart and mind and soul, the deepest parts of your soul say, I believe that he alone is my hope. I'm placing complete and utter trust in him alone for the forgiveness of my sins and the resurrection of my body. Someday that I can live forever with him on a new earth and perfection and and utopia. Then it goes on. It, It says, and I mentioned this, but our trust is specific. So when we talk about knowledge and then knowledge moving towards belief, It gets very specific. It says, we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. So it it could just say, and it would be right to say this, it could just say, we've come to know and believe that that God raised his son from the dead and that we have salvation in that or something like that, and that would be great. But it, it gets more specific. It says, we've come to know and believe the love that God has for us, which again goes beyond the facts to the intent and the emotions, right, and the beliefs behind the matter. John 3.16 says, same author, different book. It's one of the gospel accounts. John says there, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that, so that, whoever believes in him, trusts in him, should not perish or die, but have eternal life. So as love is in focus here, as it is all, in all, over, all over the Bible, in the scriptures. The gospel is not transactionary, then. It's not just God was bored someday, so just decided to do this. It's not a transaction, but a display of love, uh, the love of God for lost sinners like us, ultimately on a bloody cross among criminals. And that's what uh, Peter was, I think, praying earlier about. When we see God's love to the fullest, when you see the, the, the robust nature, the essence of the love of God, what we need to think about is a, a bloody cross where, where his son is dying for us among criminals in an unjust, unfair manner, but he's doing it for us in our place. That the love of God led him there. Uh, God seeking his glory and fame to restore that amongst amongst all creation, but also his love for lost people led him there, as this passage is is saying. The ultimate paradox, you could say. Such life from such horror and and such good intended from such evil. But again, this is the gospel. And, And one of the marks of the Spirit, John 4 is saying, one of the marks of the Spirit's presence in a church, and, and as we uh, to use that language, I, uh, this passage said, and I titled the sermon around, to abide, to remain in Christ, in His Spirit, to be wedded to Him, essentially, to use that marital language the Bible uses elsewhere, to be in Him and He in us. One of the marks of that truly happening, in a, not just in an individual basis, but in a church community, is uh, when a church believes. When a church is actively believing and trusting, that's a mark of the Spirit. That only happens when God is helping that to occur, when, when he's making his words matter, when he's making his gospel beautiful, when he's making everything else in the world lesser than the one great fact that God loves us, even more than his own son's life, in a sense. though so he loves his son deeply. Uh, we are adopted into his family to have that same status. We are called sons of God. Children of his. We are brought back from the pit. Uh, to be labeled with that type of beautiful yeah. label and status. It's, it's just amazing. So the mark of the Spirit, when belief is happening, we should say the Spirit's here. When the Gospel's being proclaimed and it's being received, people are being baptized and growing up into it and loving it. The, mar- the Spirit of God is at work in, uh, in that church uh, situation. So, so then a church uh, knowing this, whether it's Hiawatha or a different church, a church knowing this should work hard at belief in the love of God specifically uh, shown to us through, through Christ. John 6 gets at this again, a same author, different book. John there says, referring, quoting Christ, he says, Jesus answered them, his the, the disciples, this is the work of God. This is what he requires, to believe in the one he has sent. This is the work of God, to believe in the one he has sent. You want to work for God, work hard at belief, work hard at trust, Work hard at jettisoning everything that you formerly used to trust in in your life. Get it out of your life and put it at best in a secondary place so that you might trust first and foremost and primarily and really only in Jesus Christ alone to be your Savior and to, and to deliver you from this present evil age and in the future from death. 1 John 3, different chapter, uh, same book. He says, and, and this is his commandment. This is the commandment of God now in the New Testament era. This is the commandment of Christ, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, or God's commandment. We believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and we love one another, just as he commanded us. We'll come to love peace in just a little bit. But then we see that this is the commandment now. God commands that we believe and trust. This is the New Testament, the new covenant. Now, Now what stands between you and God is only Christ and him crucified. It's not the Ten Commandments. It's not morality. It's not do this or else you will lose out. It's not conditional, it's unconditional. It's saying God has done everything for you, simply believe and place your trust. That's the new, that's the new law, the new command, which isn't really a law at all, really, in one sense, right? In, in terms of the way we normally think of laws, it's not really based on condition. It's, it's unconditional. God has done everything, and he just says, trust in me. Reach out and hold on to the life preserver that I'm throwing out to you and actually jumping in the water to just force on your chest because I love you that much. Believe, believe, believe. So in terms of what this means for us, then as a church, and I'll so I'm kind of shifting here a little bit from the passage to just where we're at as a community. So you might you might know this. A lot of you guys might be just brand new today or newish. Uh, we take everything I've just said very very seriously as a church. We we don't assume it. We don't treat all this stuff as the ABCs C's of Christianity, but then move on to bigger and better things. We don't uh, label Christians who know more than this. Uh, than this kind of stuff, uh, as more mature. We label Christians more mature when they understand this more robustly. Uh, it's the focal point of the, of the whole faith, believing in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. And, and biblically speaking, then, as well, it's, it's the central message, we believe. As, as you might expect, if we're centralizing it this much, as most churches do on various levels, but most churches do, which means that every part of the Bible is helping to tell this story. Uh, whether in a foreshadowing kind of way or a very explicit kind of way, Old or New Testament, the whole point is Christ and him crucified. Uh, Jesus helps us here when he says in Luke 24, after his resurrection, that everything written uh, in, and uses an idiom for the whole Old Testament, the, the uh, Moses and the Psalms and the prophets, which is just an idiom to say everything in the Old Testament is about me and my sufferings. Everything. And he opens the Bible to, make the, to, to allow these two disciples, and they're walking to uh, th- this road to Emmaus, this town called Emmaus, and he's, he's opening their eyes to the things of Christ, whereas before they read and they were blinded because they looked at the, looked at the Scriptures as though they weren't about Christ and they misinterpreted. But Jesus says, the, the reason why you weren't expecting me or the reason why you didn't accept me when I came, you wanted to crucify me, was you didn't know that these things were actually always about me. So everything's about him. The, the Psalms, the prophets, uh, everything. Uh, and the New, the New Testament, of course, is about Christ and him crucified and, and raised. So it affects how we preach then here where uh, we, we follow Paul who says in 1 Corinthians 15 to the church. Uh, we're reminders so, uh, of each other. So like I said before, so he says there, Now I would remind you, brothers, Christians, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, you past tense received, you already are saved. And now you're standing in it quite well currently and by which you are being saved presently if you hold fast to the word I preached to you. But you know what? I'm going to take time out of my day and I'm going to get cramps in my hand writing this to take time to remind you of it because you're forgetful like me. This is the main thing. Everything's about it. Everything hangs on it. And so here at the church then we, we uh, take Paul's cue here in being believing and practicing that we are reminders of the gospel Every single week that we gather and every single day that we have life uh, in in his son. So it affects the the sermons we preach, the songs we choose to sing, the stories we tell, how we look at the world and see what its greatest need is, whether we're commenting on the Bible or just culture, things going on in the world, it it affects how we view what the biggest problem in the world is and how we comment on that, Uh, how we... uh, Find peace and encouragement through difficulty, how we grow in Christ's image, and even how we defensively guard against false doctrine. Uh, That's a big piece, too. When when a church is gospel-centric, when we center everything around the fact that God has done all things, we've done nothing, to be saved, it protects against the false doctrine that we do contribute to our salvation somehow, which is something the scriptures teach against all over the place. We bring it up weekly because... It's, at least I know, and I can speak for, I think, our overseers when I just say that we, we know that we fall back into that trap on a regular basis. We think Jesus saves us out of that state, out of that place of being a uh, kind of a, a masquerading Christian. who's not really a believer, but masquerading as a moralist, as a good person around, but not really having the meat of the cross and the empty tomb at the core of, um, of their being. And it's just everywhere in the world. It's, uh, you know, I've I mentioned to you guys before, I, I, um, people I've shared the gospel with, just some, some friends, even recently in recent years, who um, after sharing the gospel for an hour over a lunch with them, you know, just having responses like, yeah, I kind of like that. So basically what you're saying is God helps those who help themselves, right? I say, well, no, I'm saying... The, exact opposite of that actually and it's like kind of like but you can't get frustrated because you know that well that's where I was and and God just has to open eyes so it's not like that you're stupid it's just that you're blind you know being stupid and blind are different people aren't stupid they're just blind and God has to open eyes right and so we can't get angry at that we just have to keep being patient and preaching grace until people understand that no it's not about us helping ourselves we are helpless we are dead When's the last time you saw a dead person just decide to wake up and just kind of do some good things for the world? We're dead. The only way to be saved is, is, is to have a, a, um, a tomb enterer, someone to, like, he, like Jesus did for Lazarus, to call into tombs and say, wake up. You're mine now. You're my child. It's exactly what he does through his cross and, and his death and through his resurrection and through his spirit's work in the world through the church when he's saving people is that, that kind of... Um, activity. I just saw this video too last week, I think. Uh, I've never watched this show, but The Voice, the, who, uh, the Jordan, what's his name, just won the whole thing. Um, none of you guys watch this either? The Voice? Who just won The Voice? Jordan, Jordan Smith. Thank you. Um, he was on a video with, apparently he's a, a believer. He goes to Saddleback Church in California, it's a huge mega church out there, Rick Warren, if you know him. And so he's being interviewed by Rick Warren and on, I think, their stage, so <clears throat> he must go there. But he, uh, Rick Warren asked this question to him. He said, uh, tell me about your relationship with Jesus. It's a great question. Right? Just tell me who Jesus is to you. Tell me about your relationship with Christ. Summarize it here in, uh, in just a second. And the, the first words out of his mouth, I was just kind of like, oh, man, I want to give the guy a break. But I was just giggling and sharing with Spencer and saying, am I off my rocker here? But uh, the, first, the first words out of this guy's mouth were, you know, my parents taught me from a very young age how important it is to be a good person and to be filled with the love of God. And then he goes on about trying, he uses the word trying hard uh, to be close to God, having a good support system to make that possible in his life. And <laughs> that, that is actually not Christianity at all. <laughs> you know? Like, in a sentence, that is not Christianity. Christianity is not trying, having a good support system around us to try to be a good person in the world, whether or not we had the love of God in our heart at all. Uh, in summative form, at least, uh, when, you know, and this is, uh, so I share this to say, and you know, to give the guy a break, he could have just been on the spot and like, oh, there's 2,000 people here staring at my face, so I don't know what to say. So it totally could have been it, but I just say this is an example of, this is, this is it. This is stuff is out there that we have to guard ourselves against. There are celebrities, famous people, parents, friends, professors at Christian colleges, books you're reading that you think are distinctly Christian but aren't, uh, there are are Gospels out there being talked about in testimony and book and sermon form that actually aren't really Gospels at all. And so we have to be equipped to know what's right and what's wrong. And the only way to do that is to constantly talk about what's right, what the right Gospel is, so that we naturally know what the wrong Gospel is. But what, so that when we start to sniff at this kind of moralistic version of Christianity, we instantly put our finger on it and say false doctrine or false gospel, or at least sort of false gospel. There might be some good points here in what they're saying, but this aspect is, is something Jesus never said. Never said. It's, it, it goes beyond belief and love into um, a, uh, something that's not really distinct from, from Islam, or Buddhism, or atheistic humanism, really in a lot of different kinds of of ways. So, So when someone asks you, tell me about your relationship with Jesus, we have to bring the gospel into that immediately. If we don't almost immediately say cross and resurrection, there's something wrong. If we don't immediately get at the idea how God has loved us rather than trying really hard the good support system around us to be loving towards other people... Uh, we, we've really put the cart before the horse. We've really gotten out of whack. We, we've really looked at more to ourselves uh, and to others rather than to God, rather than to God first. And, and, and actually, in context here, he, he's getting at this in part when he says the gospel and the gospel of love takes away fear because w- with, with fear, there, there's punishment. With, with, when you're fearing punishment, that's when, you're, that's when you're fearing And that's actually where moralism comes in. If, if this is about God saying it's about you being a good person, uh, that, that brings fear. Where, and he actually says here in this passage, you're going to fear judgment. If, if it's not for the love of God, you will fear that final day when he comes back because it will be based on you. And the question, of course, did I ever do enough? Not based on God calling you his son and daughter. Not based on God dying in your place because he loves you that much. Not based on simple belief and trust. Not belief that God raises the dead. That, that, that's, all, that, that's where the love of God is category over here. But, the, but, but he says perfect love, if you understand this love, it drives out fear. We don't fear things anymore. and We don't fear judgment. We don't fear really anything else. We, we will certainly wrestle with fear in life. Don't get me wrong. But we fear less because we know that God has everything really in his hand. He has everything under his control because he's walked away from death itself. And he created everything. Everything's for his purposes. So, so we fear fear less. But again, the gospel, grace, Jesus dying for us, that being the essence of Christianity, uh, create, uh, the love of God in that creates freedom and peace. Uh, whereas moralism and conditionality and law keeping between us and God creates fear, fear of punishment. All right, lots more we could say there, but that's the belief section. Moving on to verses 17 to 21. Let's read those, and we'll talk about the love piece, love for the church piece. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not have or love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. All right, so a very important shift here uh, he's making, he, uh, and this relates, but shift. He's saying, by this, In verse 17, or in other words, by the fact that God loves us, loved us to the point of death, is love perfected in us. So by his love, is love perfected in in us. And then, because as he is, Jesus is, so also are we in, as he is love, so also are we in this world. His love then is reflected in us. And earlier he says, we abide in him and he in us. So, the love that is Christ, the love that is God, actually resides in the heart of a Christian. And so we have the same an imperfect version, but it's still very intentional and similar form of love for other believers and just other people, uh, but specifically believers in our life. There's a lot going on there, but, but essentially two things, and I kind of got at one already, but two things here, this really important kind of deep theological stuff here. But very practical. And the first is, Christians, what this is getting at, is when we're raised up spiritually through belief in Jesus Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit who abides, remains in us, and us, in him, so that we can actually be prompted to love and good deeds, deeds that he does in us. So we don't believe that Jesus calls us to a new life, rather, but rather that he is that new life in us through a spiritual marriage to his bride, which is the church. That's the first thing. Second, then, as it pertains to love, Christians then are so conscious of the love of God they inevitably begin to love others, especially other believers. That's when you see this idea in the Bible of brothers or sisters or the one another's. Keep in mind that the Bible's written to a lot, of, a good chunk of the New Testament anyway. It's written for everybody, a Christian or not. But the context historically is Paul writing to churches. So when he says one another, he's saying love Christians. He's not getting global with his idea of love. That's not wrong. He's just not doing that here. When you see one another, don't think you're any stranger walking down the street. We have to think the church. That's what he's talking about here. Brothers, it's familial language. We're not brothers with non-Christians. We hope to be someday, uh, that they might be adopted into God's family as well. We don't have the same father. So we're not brothers. We're not sisters. So The love he's talking about here is distinctly uh, Christian brothers and sisters, a church love. But, again, going back to this idea that there's a close connection, so our love then is prompted, or I'm sorry, the love of God prompts us to love other believers. A couple other places this comes up, Ephesians 5, 1-2 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, this is the key, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice of God to God. 1 John 3.16, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So here's love. Christ laid down his life for us. Notice the secondary complementary piece here. We also ought to lay, lay down our lives for the church, for other Christians in our lives. And then, I, again, uh, 4.19, also on a slide for this, but in 4.19 it says we love because he first loved us. So order's important. God first loves in a way that prompts brotherly love in a secondary but but very related, abiding in Christ kind of way spiritually as as well. So These two things here, according to today's passage, are so connected in the Bible. It's, It's actually saying here, this is strong language, very important though. It's saying if we don't have love for other Christians, active love, love that's sacrificial even, to pull from that last passage, and we claim to have belief and love for God, we're lying. We're lying about our belief and love for God. It's not just a little misguided here and there. It's saying we're actually lying. We're lying about having true faith and love for the Lord if we don't have active love for other other Christians. So, it's actually it really strikes at the the heart of what you might some of you might uh, hear a lot today or even believe in your heart um, at the uh, statement I love Jesus but not the church someone who's saying that according to 1 John 4 is a liar they, they don't actually love Christ because to, to love Christ is to love his people because he's so much in the people of God you can't separate them it, it'd be like someone saying to me Chris I love hanging out with you but I can't stand Elisa your wife I can't stand her let's go get a burger I was like, no, I don't think we're going to hang out anymore after that. <laughs> I can't hang out with you. You don't like my wife. I can't hang out with you. Like, we're done. You can't separate me and Elisa. We're one flesh. You can't separate the church and Christ. You can't say I'm going to rip apart Jesus and his church and just believe in Jesus and love him. But, but not his people. Impossible. I don't care what you've heard, what you think is possible, what you seem to be applying, you cannot do it. 1 John 4 says you cannot love God and not love his people. So it, we're, we're lying if we believe that or if we practice that. So this is his commandment, uh, to, to love the brothers. And, and this, is, this is love for the brothers, to be clear. I forgot to mention before, um, it, it is distinctly Christian. If, you know, if Christians are thinking that they're keeping this command to love others, simply by loving a compassion child in Africa or having a supporting world vision, but neglecting to love their local church family, that is sin. That's not okay. Uh, it, you, you can't just say, I'm, I'm, I'm fulfilling this command by giving 30 bucks a month to some child in Uganda. That's great to do. I should do that. That's great. But it's not fulfilling what this is saying. This is saying love for the brothers. This is brotherly love, not love for the global poor. Christian love is very, very specific. Uh, it, and it is wide. It's not saying it's not love for the global poor either. It's just saying, this is saying it's very specific. We have to have active, sacrificial love for Christians, because that's where Christ is spiritually today. And that's where non-believers look and say, I'm seeing the kind of love that's radical, and I'm, imp- I'm, I'm intrigued by it. I want, I want I've never seen that kind of sacrificial love. I've never seen someone you know, like even this past Monday, um, some of you guys know, if you didn't know this, um, I know a lot of you guys didn't know them, but many of us attended or were involved in a funeral on Monday for an eight-year-old girl who died in a freak accident on Christmas Day in Kenya. Uh, their family was a part of Hiawatha Church for two years before um, going to Kenya, li- uh, leaving to live in Kenya. Her name was Anna. And Matt and Martha Erickson, if you guys um, knew them but just missed the memo or something on this, we were posting it all over the table and it was all over Facebook, so I assume a lot of you who knew them were in the loop. Uh, but uh, I, I mentioned this because, and I was mentioning people who, and I was asked to do the funeral, um, it was kind of two churches doing it, so we are all trying to scramble and say, how are we going to serve this family and get all this done and figure out a service and food and care uh, for this family, and many many of whom's extended family were flying in from the coast and didn't have a place to Day and in all this. And I just thought, I'm talking to this gal from a different church and we're trying to team up and I'm saying, okay, let me just email a few people and see what we can do. And I email Peter uh, about music uh, for the service. I email um, Melanie Harper about food. I email Heidi Edwards about a uh, program. I'll just start there. See what we can give. And in, like I think in a matter of like 30 minutes, all three of them got back to me and said, yep, I'm in. Peter's like, got off work, done. I'll get a band, you know. Melanie's like, "What else can I do?" You know, and um, Heidi's like, "Yep, I'll just make a thing." And then the Hogansons hosted people um, in their home. I mean, I, it was like, and I was just, and, and the food that day, and I, I was thinking, I was telling these people, a few of them, hopefully you guys got my email about this, but I think in nine years this is probably like my big, one of my biggest proud pastor moments ever. You know, just sitting there doing this funeral, but we're just watching Hiawatha Church people just love, 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 love the brothers love the sisters, love the church, take off work. And some of these people who are helping out um, with the food on Monday didn't even know the Erickson's that well. They just knew that their church family had a close connection with them a couple of years ago and wanted to to help. And they did it non-begrudgingly. They did it non-obligatorily, if that's even a word. Uh, But they did it with joy. And um, you could tell... You know, and it's hard to have pure motives almost any time in life, but just in general, that motive stemmed from the love of God, the love of Christ. And, and to me, it's one of the biggest reasons why I know the gospel is taking root in our church is that kind of stuff. It's, um, it's not just because we see conversions and baptisms here, though so that's a huge, huge piece, but also because we see that, that kind of deep love specifically for other believers when they're in distress. And it, it's this glaring neon, flashing, blinking, hundred-foot-tall sign of the Holy Spirit is among you. This kind of love is unworldly, and it only comes from the Spirit. So, so let's rejoice and keep on doing it more and more and more and more. So, in uh, in conclusion, um, bringing this back to our vision, uh, two things that we to boil Christianity down on a day-to-day basis. And I, I'm encouraging you guys in this from 1 John 4 and myself. This is what, the, what God is saying to us today scripturally. On a vision level, though, um, you just need to know this about our church. We're all in on the gospel. We're all in on love for the people of God and, the, and just the broader value of the local church and considering it home and family and uh, embodying the gospel as we love each other as Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 said. So let me read uh, 1 John 3, 23 one more time. It says, And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. In the verse 14 of today's passage, we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. That's our main thing. To know that, believe that, confess that, testify to that, remember that, hear it preached, sing about it, share it with others, grow in it, and as we've said, to love in light of it. It's everything. We actually we agree with Tim Keller here who says uh, the gospel is the only thing that can bear the burden of being the main thing in a church because it's the only thing in the universe that is endlessly rich. If you make anything else the center of your church, you'll burn out. If you make anything else the center of your church, you'll, start, you'll probably leave in five years when it gets kind of rote. I'm like, yeah, I've kind of tried that didn't quite change my life, you know, didn't really see it impact people or a neighborhood or a non-believer or a Christian alike or a broken marriage or my child or family in distress or, or as they were mourning or wh- whatever it is. Um, the the gospel is the only thing that can bear that burden of being the main thing. And we totally agree. We think it's biblical and we agree with this this perspective on it too. And, and one thing I, uh, I'll mention this really quick, but, in chapter 5 of this book, in First John, it says that the commands, these types of commands, are not burdensome. So in five, three, it says, "His hey, commandments are not a burden. If it's a burden for you uh, to believe in love, you're thinking as a conditionalist. You're thinking as a moralist. You're thinking, I need to do this to be saved. But it shouldn't be a burden to believe in love because they're not really laws. They're, go- they're like gospels. They're, they are the gospel. Um, love points to the love of God. And so when, when Christ says, I want you to love the brothers, he, he says, I want you to put on display what I've done for you. It's the most important thing you can do with your life, and I'll, I'll just end with that. Um, as we go, for, those of you who call this church home, uh, consider this a bit of a rallying cry from the scriptures, what, what you should think about every single day in terms of what to do with your life is to work really hard. And this is what Jesus wants for you. That's a great question, Right? What does God ask of us? What does he demand of us? Well, really two things. And they're not really demands or burdens. They're, they're graces. He asks that you believe in him, that you know that he loves you so incredibly much he's died for you, and two, that you whisper that love through love for other believers. That's it. Focus on that. Uh, go all in on that. Know that Christ is, Loves you deeply, and he wants you to love others deeply as well, as a reflection of, of that love. Again, not on global scales. Don't get kind of global, some kind of picture of global grandeur here. Uh, this is local, and, and some of you might be called to that, but 99.9% of us are just called to love actual people we know. <laughs> you know, it's like you can give money to this you know orphan over here. That's great. That is, actually is an act of love. But you know, you ever tried loving someone you actually know? like as a, another Christian, actually know, like to die for them and to sacrifice your life for them and to give everything to them, to count them better than you, like Jesus did for you. Actual church life, right? Actual stuff that the Bible t- actually talks about and we care about. And that's why we have ministries, leadership development, why we plant new churches. It's why we encourage mission around here in the city uh, to our neighbors and, I mean, all kinds of stuff. I could, I could go on. Let me just close in prayer for us, because there's so much to say here. I don't think we said enough. And um, encourage you guys though to really go all in on belief and love this year, and and um, and and really pray about this. Uh, it is what His commandment is for us in this New Testament era to do these two things. God, thank you so much for today, for your grace in 1 John 4, and uh, how uh, incredibly simple but incredibly profound it is at the same time. Uh, God, I pray that for our church, for us as individuals, and for us as a community. God, uh, hear us. Uh, hear our prayer for you, God, on a regular basis when we cry out for just the ability to believe better and more, to trust in you more fully. Uh, we pray you'd help us in that, Holy Spirit, and to have ample opportunity not just to, to go all in on your love for us. Uh, you, you've loved us first, and to know that so well that that it just brings us to our knees and, and brings us to tears and brings us to worship and to thanksgiving and, and just brings us to a, a state of smiling, uh, maybe in the midst of a really, really, really hard day. But we know that God loves us deeply so much. He died for us that that would prompt love for other Christians. So um, God, I pray specifically for people in this room who are in between church homes, maybe considering Hiawatha being their home or maybe never really been a part of a church on a substantive level, God, please provide a church home for them, whether that's here or somewhere else. Uh, They need church because they need you and you are in the church. They need opportunities to be loved by other Christians so that that they might sense your love for them more and they need opportunities to love others so that they might be the, the conduit to display your love in the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. And so, uh, help us to take church much more seriously than we do, no matter where we're at with that, and uh, to see it as a great, what one great big adventure of um, heralding, singing about, celebrating through word the gospel, but getting to demonstrate that to you through word uh, this year. So bless us, God, missionally as we do that, and here in the church, and as we go our ways and scatter uh, to those who have not yet heard, who we pray uh, would believe, many would believe this year. Um, The gospel that we proclaim and show off. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand and respond.